Good morning. Look at all these smiling faces. Well, mostly smiling. Some of you are smiling now that I said smiling. Good to see you this morning. My name is Jeff, and welcome those of you. I know we still have some people watching online as we we're kind of transitioning, right? We're moving, but we're still kind of in a little bit of a transition phase. So those of you who aren't with us and are at home, we, we are celebrating you as well, but I love seeing all of your smiling faces. Um, and I was told, I'll just tell you this, I was told we have a bit of a youth movement this morning. If you look at our worship team and our tech team, apparently I'm the oldest person by 15 years. So that made me feel awesome this morning. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're in this series called What Just Happened. We're, we've been going through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which means for the next four weeks, including this week, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. We'll get more specific on that topic next week. So you can think of this week as a bit of an introduction. And what I want to do, I actually heard another pastor kind of give the background I'm going to give today. Actually, they weren't doing it tied to 1 Corinthians 12, but I think it's really connected. You'll see as we go through this morning, but I want to situate 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the larger story of the Bible. Even if I don't connect all the dots for you, I think you'll be able to connect the dots for yourself. But I like to do this from time to time. Uh, We're going to end by talking about identity this morning. I think identity is one one of the concepts or ideas or truths about who we are that is most under attack in the world that we live in today. And so much of our identity has to do with the story that you and I are living out of. What's the story that you understand that tells you who you are? Do you know who you are? And do you know why you're here? And do you know for what purpose, God, do you have a story that is shaping who you are? That's where we're going to end this morning. So I want to spend a little time talking about this big story of Scripture. I think it's always important to remind us we're a part. Here at Crossview, we believe that the Bible tells us our big story. This is the story that tells us who we are. So let me give us a little bit of just just a couple high points. I want to remind you of the first 11 chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 begins with with one story of creation, the seven days of creation. It culminates in God resting on the seventh day. And sometimes I like to go through biblical theology, some of these major themes. The, The theme of God resting is a major theme in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Chapter 2, we kind of finish that story and enter into a kind of a second creation account from a different angle. The story of Adam and Eve dwelling in the Garden of Eden with God. God being present with his creation is another major theme that begins in Genesis, runs all the way through Revelation. Genesis chapter 3 gets us into the story of Adam and Eve rebelling against God eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they eat from that tree because they want to decide for themselves and It's a sermon for another day, but I like to say this often because I think we need to remember this. Adam and Eve think it would be great if they could decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. If they could decide for themselves what is beneficial and what is harmful. Does that sound at all like today? And yet the Bible tells us that's the worst possible decision they could have made. To not trust God, to tell them what is beneficial and what is harmful. And they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. 
and sin is let loose in God's good creation. They have two boys. They have Cain and Abel. And this is even some of the bigger background of what's going on in Corinth, right? We're going to get there, but we've talked a lot about all the mess. What just happened? Corinth is this church. It's a total mess. And Cain and Abel are competing with each other. Cain becomes envious. He becomes jealous of Abel. And what does he do with his jealousy? He kills his brother. Cain actually throws a question out there that reverberates through the scriptures. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to look out for the other? Can't I just look out for myself? That story, that question echoes all the way through the Bible. And it gets its ultimate answer in Jesus. Read through 1 John. See what John has to say. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. (laughs) Yes, you are. If you've been wondering the answer, yes, you are. You are to care for the other. Well, the world just keeps getting worse and worse. It's like exponential acceleration. And it's an escalation of violence. Lamech comes along. And if Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then my vengeance will be 77-fold. Again, another thing that will crop up later In the story of Jesus, there's so much of Genesis that roots this whole story. And then we get to the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 5. Actually, the only sin mentioned in the days of Noah really is this sin of violence. And God sends a flood on the earth, and he kind of begins again with Noah. But what we discover is that the flood didn't really do that much. Humanity isn't really that different after the flood, if you read through the story. There's not a big difference. It's still the same problem. And it gets us to Genesis 11, which is, which is where I want to start in this big story. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had, listen to this, one language and the same words. One language, same words. A lot of sameness. You see that? Everything's the same. And as people migrated east, the ESV says from the east, which I'm not like a textual scholar, but most translations say to the east. And I'm surprised, as you read through Genesis, moving east is moving away from, it's a theme in Genesis. So I really do think it's best to translate, They're, they're migrating to the east. Moving east is moving away from Eden. And things don't really change in the biblical story until Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham finally is the first person who moves west. He moves back towards the garden, back towards the presence of God. That's when God really begins to change his things. He makes these promises to Abraham. So the people move east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. We're in the, and you'll see as we go through, we're in the land of Babylonia. This is the first introduction we give of another major theme. We've talked about a couple themes, rest and presence. Babylon is a major theme in the Bible. Babylon, if you want to understand it this way this morning, Babylon is empire opposed to God and bent on dominating other people. That'll be important as we get into Genesis 11. That's what Babylon is, empire opposed to God and bent on dominating other people. If you were with us last summer, we went through the book of Revelation, where again, this theme of Babylon is very present. And we talked about the difference between the way of Babylon, which is the way of the beast, beast power, remember that? Or the way of Jesus, which is the way of the lamb, lamb power. (laughs) That's the beauty of the book of Revelation, lamb power. Babylon is this major theme. It's really getting introduced here in 
Genesis chapter 11. Verse 3, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. I wasn't aware of this, but as I was listening to somebody teach through this, really the next place in the Bible where this idea of bricks shows up, bricks aren't inherently bad, but in the Bible, we see bricks here, and then the next place we'll see bricks is when the Hebrews are slaves in Egypt, and they're being used for cheap slave labor. We enter into the story of, of, of the Bible, and bricks are not a good thing. Bricks are... Are, are, are kind of the symbol of empire, this mass, we'll talk about mass production, bland conformity, kind of one size fits all. And if we aren't careful, that's what's happening here in Genesis, if we aren't careful, people get reduced to things to be used. People are no longer made in the image of God, but they're just numbers to be counted. That's part of what's happening here. Verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. We want to make ourselves great, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, God enters into this story. The Lord came down. God's in his heavens. And heaven's not that far away. It's not a long trip for God, but he comes down. He comes Here to visit the people to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And this is God's response to this human endeavor. Verse 6. Behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now God's not afraid of them, right? God is all-powerful. God will not be controlled. It's part of, they want to control everything. That's the spirit of Babylon, and God will not be controlled. So come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. The empire wants to completely control everything. It wants to control how people think, what they do, how they talk, and what they imagine. This project in Genesis 11 is total control over everything in that society. No diversity, no different opinions. Everybody had to think the same, talk the same, imagine the same, and dream the same. That's what Babel represents. But God comes down and says, I will not be controlled. (laughs) So the people are united and they all speak the same language, so nothing will be impossible for them. And you may ask, isn't that a good thing? And I think if if you think about it for a moment, you would say, well, it depends on what they're united around. What their purpose is in uniting. If the people are united in order to make everybody the same... That is the kind of unity that God does not like because our God, we'll talk about this, he's an artist. (laughs) He's a God of diversity. Their unity around that project is not good. What God is going to do is introduce diversity because we need to be united in love. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, 
because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. God, it comes and he confuses the people with different language. And I want you to see here in the context of sameness, God is the one who introduces difference. (laughs) He introduces difference into the world of human sameness. You could say that God is making diversity necessary. Because our goal and our purpose, again, if you want to know who you are and why, we're here to love. (laughs) And diversity is one of the ways that we learn what this love looks like. So God's going to scatter them, but it's not going to solve the problem. We're going to keep reading through the story. I already mentioned Egypt. Egypt is going to come in the same spirit of the Tower of Babel. Assyria is going to come in the same spirit. Babylon itself will come. Read through Isaiah. When we get to Revelation, Rome will come. This theme of empire and human domination and conforming and trying to make everybody like me is a theme that's going to reverberate through the Scriptures. The flood didn't solve the problem. But God makes a promise to Abraham, and it is through this promise. Abraham is going, we'll talk more about this eventually, but Abraham is going to go looking for a city whose founder is not Cain, but is God himself. What we talk about, the kingdom of God, is Jesus rearranging the world the way he wants it to be. So the Bible, obviously the whole Old Testament, we talk about this all the time, it all roads lead to Jesus. Every promise is yes, amen in Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater Joshua, the greater David, the greater Solomon, the greater Isaiah. Everything leads to Jesus. He's the temple. He's the sacrifice. He's the high priest. The whole story, every promise made is culminated in Jesus. But God takes his time. I mean, it's about 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. So the the same amount of time from Jesus to us. I mean, God takes his time, but eventually Christmas comes. Jesus comes, God in the flesh. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And he shows us who God truly is. And he also shows us what it means to be human, who we really are. And one of the gifts he gives us is the church. So I want to now fast forward to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Jesus has been crucified. He has been resurrected. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the disciples are waiting for the Spirit to be poured out upon them. So read with me Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were... Now, now just does this sound like Genesis 11 verse 1 to you? It does to me. When when Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And this is literally all the Christians in the world at this point, right now, together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I mean, just imagine Genesis 11, verse 5, God came down. Heaven's not that far away. It wasn't a long journey for him. But God shows up in their midst and fills the entire house where they're sitting. And divided tongues, we're going to hear echoes of Babel, but God is doing something radically different, and we'll talk about it. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And a few years ago, we did a series, it was one of my favorite series to do here, More Than Moses, where we looked at Moses and Mount Sinai. Imagine all of these Christians are like their own version of Mount Sinai. 
The, the, the Shekinah glory of God is resting on each believer on the day of Pentecost. They're all their own Mount Sinai. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and the sound, at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed, and, and you can just read through all, I mean, just, just a list of all the different nations and all the different tongues, and everybody's perplexed at what's going on. And I don't have a slide for this, but you keep reading Acts 2 on your own. Peter's going to stand up, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to explain what's going on, and he's going to go to our story. This is our story, and he's going to go to the book of Joel, and he's going to say, well, God told us this was going to happen. God said in the last days, in the book of Joel, and, 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 and I know it's kind of hard, but, but the last days began at Pentecost, the Spirit being poured out, but we still live in the last days. I know that's, but that's just, that's just how our story goes. But God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, this will be the background for some of what we'll talk about over the next few weeks, but your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy Young men are going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will all prophesy. Peter's saying, that's what Joel said. It's happening now. The spirit of God is being poured out on all flesh. So God comes again. And like I said, it's, it's like Babel, but it's also different. Because God is moving and God is stirring and God is present and they're speaking in different languages. But in Babel, their different languages led to confusion because nobody could understand. Now, at Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit, everybody understands the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? I hope if you're here this morning, you can, you can understand the good news of Jesus Christ our faith is a translated faith. And Jesus comes to each of us in our own language, in our own ways that we need to hear it. He's the perfect gentleman, and, and it's always good news. It's always good news. Peter explains what's going on, that God is pouring out His Spirit upon all people. That the unity of the church is one gospel, the same gospel spoken in many tongues. It's not speaking one language. The church got this wrong for a long time. I mean, you've heard, there was a while where you were only going to hear the good news if you knew Latin. It's, just, it's not the best part of our history. You have to learn Latin before you can learn. No, 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 no. The gospel was always meant to be translated. That's why if you were with us last week, we had missionaries up here that translate the gospel because it goes forth to all nations. It's translatable. The unity of the church is one gospel spoken in many different tongues. The Spirit gives us power to cross cultural boundaries and communicate the gospel in a way that people can understand in their own context. So now within this backdrop, so this is big story stuff, but I, I want to start here as an introduction as we're going to talk about spiritual gifts over the next few weeks because I want you to see, you're going to see it in the text that we're going to read next, the same God the same Spirit, the same Lord, you and I have a common faith. But this God is an artist, and he's not aiming at 
conformity so we all look the same. This God specializes in beauty. And so he is going to gift us. He is going to write unique stories into each one of our lives. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. So one more passage. Here you go. You didn't know you were getting three different passages this morning, did you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's start with verse 1. And if you've been with us, Paul, I mean, this, this church is a mess. It is a mess. And Paul is pulling his hair out. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, okay, the next trouble topic in your church. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So a little bit of background. I've tried to kind of set the table for this throughout the series if you've been journeying with us. But in Corinth, they have discovered their spiritual gifts. We'll talk about this. But they have made the gifts about themselves. They have used the gifts, and we even began to talk about this last week with the Lord's Supper, but they're, they're constantly, because they don't know who they are in Christ, right? They're struggling with their identity. They're constantly trying to find ways to validate their significance and to try to feel superior. And so now they're like, well, I have this gift, and my gift is better than your gift, and you should want my gift. And it's become a a topic of manipulation and performance and competition. And I'm going to say this, and honestly, I think I'm primarily saying this to me today as I was preparing this morning. I was like, wow, do I need to hear this Jesus? So you can eavesdrop on my own conversation with myself, and if this matters for you, hold to this as well. But if you want to instantly lose all your joy and peace, just start comparing yourself with other people. If you have any semblance of joy and peace today and you want to lose it on your way out of church, just, just look around and start comparing yourself to other people. Just get in a conversation with Jesus. Why isn't my, li- my life more like theirs? I like what you did in their life. Why can't you do that? I mean, that's, just a, that's a great recipe for robbing you of joy and peace. That's what was happening in Corinth. And Paul's like, stop, stop. So let's keep, let's keep reading. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. We've talked a lot about that in the previous parts of this letter. However you were led. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God gets poured out on every single Christian. The moment you can say with faith, with belief, with trust, Jesus is my Savior, He saved me, he's delivered me, he's rescued me, and he is Lord. He's Lord of my life. I will obey King Jesus. The moment you say that uh, with sincerity and authenticity, with faith, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And Paul says no one who has the Spirit of God in their life can say Jesus is accursed. (laughs) And at the same time, because this is revealed to us by God, and it's not something of our own doing, it's all gift, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is something, it's grace. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Just kind of, we'll just say a little bit about what Paul is saying here. But but the Holy Spirit, we're we're a church that really, we're a Trinitarian church. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we really do believe the Spirit is at work. But if you hang around, you'll notice we talk a lot about Jesus. I say Jesus a lot more than I say Holy Spirit. It It doesn't mean I don't, think the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's the Trinity, it's Father, Son, it's God. But we talk a lot about Jesus because that's really 
That's kind of the pattern the New Testament gives us. Because if you read through the New Testament, I mean, read in John 16 when Jesus himself is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. What we learn is that the Holy Spirit is at work pointing us to Jesus glorifying Jesus. That's what he's doing. So we talk a lot about Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, and then we trust that the Holy Spirit is doing all these things we can't see and can't control as he's directing us to Jesus. In fact, I mentioned our our denominational statement of faith a few weeks ago. This is what our statement of faith says about the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he does. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in all that he does. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. We'll come back to that at the end of the sermon. The Holy Spirit also, he, he's a he, he's not an it, he's not some force, he's a person. And he indwells, he illuminates, he guides, he equips, he empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The point of being in touch, and I think this is the backdrop of what Paul is beginning to do with the Corinthians. The point of being in touch with the things of the Spirit is not in order to have some kind of exciting experience. But it's so that you and I will be loyal to Jesus, the risen Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Spirit glorifies Jesus in everything he does. Everything he does is meant to shine glory on another. But he also is coming to illuminate and guide. And even as I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, back when I was, when I was a, a missionary, I was a missionary for a year. It was a former Soviet Union country, and so... People had been, really, they were forced to be atheists for a long time. But coming out, the the Soviet, the Iron Curtain had fallen, and uh, they were kind of returning to previous Muslim roots. And so a lot of people were nominally Muslim. They didn't really know Muslim faith, but that's what they were identifying with after the Soviet Union had fallen. One of the guys I got to know, his name was Tyrol, and he was really open to Jesus. Some of you know this, but in other countries, people have dreams, especially Muslim countries, people have dreams about Jesus all the time. And Tural's mother identified as a Muslim, but she had had a couple powerful dreams where she encountered Jesus. So she wasn't yet a Christian, but she was really okay with her Muslim son hanging out with these Christians from America. She thought it was great. She liked Jesus a lot. So Tyrol spent time, before I got there, with some of my friends. One of my friends, Brandon. One of my friends, Mark. And one of my friends, Nick. And my friends, Brandon, Mark, and Nick, shared the gospel with Tyrol on several occasions. And they had gone back to America, and I had come to the country, and I had been meeting with Tyrol, and we were walking through the gospel. And Tyrol said to me, I remember we were, we were in my apartment. And he said, Jeff, Brandon told me the story of Jesus, and then Mark and Nick came, and they told me the story of Jesus, and you're telling me the same story, the same good news of Jesus. And he's like, I don't have all the answers yet, but I, I think I understand the story enough, but I remember Mark and Nick telling me that, that really a lot of this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will enter my life when I give my life to Jesus, and so I'm ready to do that. I want the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you this morning. <laughs> There's a lot of questions I have, a lot of unanswered questions, and I want the Holy Spirit. 
God himself, the very presence of God to enter into my life and to make my life his home. Maybe that's you this morning. It's not hard. Jesus has made it really easy. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. In your heart of hearts, you confess him as Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes. And sometimes it's a provocative, profound experience. And other times it's just increased loyalty to Jesus. But that's the goal. That's what happens. And Terrell and I prayed right then and there (laughs) for him to receive the Holy Spirit, to become a Christian. That happens to every Christian when they give their life to Jesus. The Spirit begins to illuminate and guide. Verse 4. So we're talking about sameness, but you'll see difference. This is a God who has introduced difference and variety into the mix of our sameness. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then verse 7, which is something we'll need to talk more and more about as we keep going through this series. But to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It means every single person who has said yes to Jesus is then uniquely gifted with a gift from the Holy Spirit. But this is not like most of our modern gifts because this gift is not for you. It is to you, but it is for others. And you have to walk the path of Jesus and learn the way of service in order to learn. This is what discipleship is in some ways, how to exercise this gift and discover this amazing spiritual gift that you've been given from God for the edification of others. We'll talk about this more in the weeks ahead, but these gifts are meant to bring unity and create community. Unity can bleed into uniformity, but we're not, and I'll talk about some of the problems with that. We're not aiming at uniformity. We want unity in the context of diversity because our God makes things one of a kind. He's not a mass industrialist. (laughs) That's not who our God is. Verses 8 to 11. This is the end of our passage. We're mostly going to focus on verse 11, and then these other verses will come up more next week. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. You just see diversity according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, same, different, same, right? To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then verse 11, which is where we'll land this morning. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Who apportions to each one of us individually as he wills. That's what I want to hang on this morning. The Spirit gives purposely. The Spirit has given you a gift with intentionality. He's given it deliberately. It's not haphazard. It's not without care. Because God is not an industrialist. He's an artist. He makes things one of a kind. 
We'll talk more about this next week, but, but there really are an infinite number of gifts because we are so different. Our stories, our backgrounds, we have different personalities. And you add that, we, we probably get our gifts at different ages and we're in different levels of maturity and we've had different experiences and the churches that we may attend are of different sizes. In other words, there's just there's an infinite number of ways these gifts can express themselves. Your gift matrix is almost as unique as a fingerprint. And again, we'll talk about this more next week, but I believe here at Crossview that each one of you have been gifted with a gift, and it's quite possible that there is somebody else in our church family who needs you to use your gift for their edification. Not me. You've been uniquely gifted for somebody else. I mean, that's what God does. We're all in this together. Your gift matrix is a unique combination to help somebody, to help our total church family grow. God does not mass produce. If there was ever an excuse for mass producing something, we live in Illinois, we know it'd be snowflakes. But what are we told? No two snowflakes are the same. God is an artist. He just does things one of a kind. Why? It's who he is. And he values beauty. Now there's one God, there's one spirit. We hold a common faith and a common confession. This is our common story. But there's so much room for diversity in the family of God. May we never forget that. God does not want cheap imitations. And I think some of them, and we, if you were with us last week, I hope you heard second service. We had four people get baptized. They were amazing stories, were they not? They were great stories, all four of them. But they were all so different. And we should celebrate that we're a part of a church where we have latitude for diverse stories of saving grace. Because Jesus is an artist. We're not the artist. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to frame this. I'm going to say this is, hard, this is hard for churches And it's hard for pastors. So I'm going to say this so that you as our church family can hold me accountable to this. But I also want you to do some self-reflection to make sure that you don't stumble down the same dangerous paths that pastors can fall down. I've, I've experienced this firsthand and I've probably done this myself that I need to confess of. But oftentimes we pastors, we're leading, we're shepherding, and we can, like the Corinthians prioritize our own gifts. Sometimes it's hard for pastors because we have had a pretty incredible journey in Jesus that led us to where we are vocationally, and we want other people to go on the same journey that we went on. But the danger is that we can begin to think that someone else's faith isn't authentic because their story isn't like our story. It's actually, and this happens to pass, it's actually a sign of deep immaturity to think that everybody has to learn. I, I keep telling you that the spiritual journey is never linear. And if you think everybody has to learn everything in the same order that you did, you're going to be surprised. If I say it more strongly, the spiritually immature person thinks other people can only encounter Christ the way they do. And they become suspicious of others who have very different stories. 
I mean, we, I think we almost all go through this phase, but, but the mature person understands that God loves us so intensely in Christ that he is at work in a variety of ways in the lives of people. We don't have to make it conform to our own experience. Actually, I was with somebody this week in our church who has a beautiful story of Jesus. And they were sharing with me. They said, you know what? I just realized recently, they, had a, they were in a church where their youth pastor became their senior pastor. So this, this person had a major influence in their life. And they said, I just realized recently that I have been trying to please my childhood pastor instead of Jesus. That everything I've tried to do has been to please this man I'm not even around anymore. Kind of came from a very legalistic church. And that voice is still echoing. And I, I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I want, I want to point you to Jesus. You don't have to be like me. In fact, our church will never be what Jesus wants it to be if I'm making clones of myself. You understand what I'm saying? You can hold me accountable. That's why in our discipleship pathway, I say over and over again, there's not a one-size-fits-all way of discipleship. Kami and I learned this a few years ago. It was at a church we were at before we came to Crossview, but... One of our friends, she was a young, a young woman, so Kami was a little closer to her than I was, but we were both involved in her life, and Jesus turned her world upside. It was, it was one of the most, most powerful stories I've been around. Incredible. It was obvious to me that she was hearing Jesus in profound ways. But she had this hobby that was a part of her life before she came to Christ. It wasn't immoral. It was a great hobby, an awesome hobby. But this hobby was really a distraction. It was really kind of overwhelming her life. It was really getting in the way of some of the things that I, th- I thought she could grow in. And I remember talking to Kami about it and saying, have you seen this? I've seen this. Kami said, yeah, I've seen it too. But it, it, even in our discipleship pathway, sometimes I'll say, what do you have grace for? Where is the kingdom breaking in? And Kami and I prayed together. I just don't think we have grace to raise the issue right now with her. I just don't think that's where, I mean, the kingdom is turning. It's obvious that Jesus is changing her. I just don't see the kingdom breaking into this part of her life right now. So maybe we wait. I don't know if you've ever had this temptation, but Kami and I had this temptation. Jesus isn't saying anything to her about this, but I see it. So if he's not going to say anything, maybe I should. (laughs) As if they're going to listen to me instead of Jesus. You, You laugh, so you know what I mean. But if God is an artist, I mean, think about it. Artists don't like it when you tell them what to do, do they? God is an artist. And honestly, this is where it's good to do ministry together. Kami and I prayed and we discerned and said, no, we're not going to raise this issue. And then in Jesus' perfect timing, he raised this issue in this woman's life and it went away. (laughs) Better than anything Kami and I could have done if we tried to manipulate or control or make this young woman walk the path that we had walked. Our goal, what did we sing? We, we try to keep Jesus at the center. We just point people to Jesus and we actually trust that Jesus cares more about their transformation than we do. More about our own transformation than we do. So I told you I was going to end. We're going to end here. I'm going to end with identity. But Jesus is, I say this frequently, but I don't think I can say it enough. Jesus is naming you. 
He has given you a name. He knows who you are meant to be. And we spend so much time, what breaks my heart, underneath so much of the chaos in our culture today is that we are hustling and scrambling to validate our existence, to try to find some kind of of reason for why we're worthy. And and, and again, I think it's even muddled up in this, like we don't want to conform and we want to be different, but we've kind of lost track of the true story. And so we're trying to find all these crazy ways to be different, to try to express ourselves as unique. And look, being unique isn't bad. God has made you unique. (laughs) But I promise you, if you run into the uniqueness that Jesus has for you, it's going to go so much better. I mean, we're running well off the train tracks here in terms of God's design in our culture today. And if you can get back on the path, the, the narrow road of love, take up your cross and follow Jesus and learn who you are in Christ, I think you're going to find all kinds of peace and joy. You've heard me say this before, but we've told Jay often, because I think identity is a major issue, so we tell Jay this from time to time. My son's 11 years old, and I asked Jay, Jay, who are you? He's actually back there. I could make him do this, but he doesn't have a mic, so you wouldn't hear it online. But we asked Jay, who are you? And Jay will say, my name is Jay Knitt. I am the son of Jeff and Kami Knitt. What does that mean? That means his story is unique. There is no other Jay Knitt like my Jay Knitt. He's the only one. He's unique. He is special. He is one of a kind. But then he says, And I'm a child of God, and I'm loved and forgiven, deeply loved and forgiven. That's the common faith. For every single one of us, we fall under the umbrella of the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross. Unique story, common faith common faith. We are are one in this human struggle in life. We are one in the story of redemption. There's a lot of sameness, but there's so much beauty in our unique stories. You don't have to strive or hustle or scramble because God has made you in a beautiful way. Don't ever forget that. We forget that all too often. We, we, We look for others to validate us. And another pastor has said it this way, we all need someone we esteem to esteem us. Now, hopefully your parents, hopefully you esteem your parents, hopefully you have a healthy, that doesn't always happen, we live in a broken world. But that's where it starts, that's God's design, that's where it starts. You esteem your parents and they, and you know they esteem you and that becomes a safe place for identity. But, but then we grow, we're, we're all imperfect parents, I'm an imperfect parent, I tell Jay all the time, that's why you need Jesus, because I'm going to fail you. You could ask him, he could amen that too, okay? But Jesus is one that we esteem, and he esteems you. He went to the cross for you. He didn't have to, he did it because he loves you. That makes you so valuable and so worthy. That is the core and the foundation of our identity. So so we're going to begin this journey. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. I think it's really important for our church. And I'm going to say it really succinctly. And I'm going to invite... If God's stirring in you right now, I'm going to invite you to come on Wednesday, Wednesday night. I'm doing community nights on Wednesday night, and I was asked, we had our first search team meeting for our youth pastor yesterday morning, and I want to say, well done, church. Our search team is awesome. It's five people who I think are gifted for this search, so be praying for us. It's a big deal. But we met, and we were chatting, and we were asked, 
what, what is something you, where, where did you see God at work this past week? And I said Wednesday night at community night. There were 18 people here, which I didn't expect because it was a Wednesday night in the summer. And we did Kairos moments together. We just talked about a moment in our life and we declared good news to one another and people encountered Jesus on Wednesday night and I was just so moved again because I, I just sat back and I, and I watched our church minister to each other and it's profound and it's powerful. We're going to do that again in two weeks, but this Wednesday we're going to pray. We're going to do a version of prayer school. We're going to meet and we're praying and, and, and we'll even talk a little bit about the gifts because that's where we're at, but but you begin this journey by, by, by knowing who you are, entering into the story, and then we just want to be present. That's what we're going to do Wednesday night. We're just going to be present to Jesus. And we're going to be patient. We've got a whole month. We're going to be present, and we're going to be patient. We want instant gratification gifts. That's how we're trained in our culture, but that's just not how our, our Heavenly Father who gives us good gifts, that's just not how he works. So if you want to come Wednesday night, we're going to pray. We're going to be present to Jesus and we're going to be patient so that we can learn how we can all add to the beauty of the artwork of our King. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you to refresh us by your Spirit. We ask you to lead us into peace and understanding with others and help us experience the miracle of many voices becoming one in you. In fact, if I think of anything that would be countercultural, that would make people want to come see what is happening at Crossview right now, it would be us telling people, yeah, our church is filled with people with all kinds of different stories. Some people speak different languages. But somehow we're all drawn to this Jesus guy. He's so beautiful. He's so attractive. He's so compelling. And we're becoming one family. We're finding a way to hear each other and get past our differences. We're learning how to love and forgive because sometimes we need diversity to do that. But our church is committed to keeping Jesus at the center. We've tried other things and they don't work. So we're all in on Jesus. And you might think I'm crazy. Sometimes I think I'm crazy. But I actually believe that Jesus Christ can bring humanity together. This is what Jesus does. Holy Spirit, we ask for a variety of gifts. Because collectively we confess one Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.